Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mosaic Life podcast. Before we get started, as always, I would be so incredibly grateful if you would take just a couple moments of your time to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I know not everybody uses Apple Podcasts, so if you use Spotify or Pocket Casts or any other platform, please do me a favor and subscribe. That helps just as much. And of course, you can follow me at Trey Kaufman on Instagram. You can find that link in the show notes. My guest today is Jovanka Ciares. You know, as this podcast continues to evolve, it's becoming ever more clear how holistic my notion of happiness is. Jovanka is a nutrition expert, an educator, and an author. And as our conversation deepened, I began to realize just how much of an impact my health and wellness has on my own happiness. Jovanka is a former entertainment executive turned registered herbalist, wellness coach, detox specialist, nutrition educator, and author. Jovanka studied nutrition with best-selling author Dr. T. Colin Campbell at Cornell University Long Distance Program in Herbalism with revered doctor and herbalist Dr. Lodog. She teaches how to use botanicals as safe treatments for many conditions and offers workshops and speaking engagements in both English and Spanish. After years of suffering from IBS, ulcers, fibroids, Jovanka embraced alternative therapies like Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and herbalism. Her journey towards self-healing, peace, and happiness led her to discover and experience multiple alternative treatments that later became part of her unique coaching program. When I think about happiness in the context of the conversation you're about to hear, it becomes easy for me to see how many facets of our lives play into it. It's not about wants and desires, and that was my first lesson in happiness. It seems to me it's about reaching a state of homeostasis within ourselves. It's about knowing the effects different inputs will have on our bodies and our psyches. Instead of taking everything in and hoping the good outweighs the bad, it's learning to block our desire for the bad so only the good is allowed in. And ultimately, you only allow the good out as well. That's an interesting idea for me, and I really do hope to explore it more. But anyway, without further delay, please welcome my guest, the inspirational Jovanka Ciares. Hi. How um, are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. How is your Friday going? Oh, it is good. Not over yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully in another two, three hours. Yeah. Have a yeah. It's good. That, you know, for, for I guess the for the first time in a long time, I, I'm thankful that uh, I'm a few hours ahead of the people on the West Coast because my Friday's almost mm -hmm. over. So that's that's nice. Mm -hmm. good, good, good. Yeah. And so you're you're on you said San Diego, right? I'm in Culver City, Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles. Okay. How how's uh mm -hmm. how's how's the weather treating you out there? Uh, today is actually nice and warm, maybe like 70, 71. Oh, that sounds that sounds wonderful. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm so very I did jealous. go outside and did a little hike. Oh, There's nice. all kinds of places where you can walk around and kind of work out. That sounds amazing. And, uh, yeah, I had a salad and now I'm sitting here. That's incredible. Ready to chat you up. Well, I, I so appreciate you doing this. It, it, you know, we, we spoke very briefly a couple of days ago, and it was an absolute pleasure. And I'm really looking forward to talking more about your journey. And actually, just uh, to be fully transparent, I just watched your TEDx talk, and it was very inspiring. And I'm really looking forward to talking about the subject matter behind that. Thank you. I'm excited to get started as well. Thank you. No problem at all. So I, why don't we just jump in there while it's, you know, fresh in my mind, talking mm -hmm. about rethinking failure, because I, I think there's been a shift over the last, you know, 10, maybe 20 years. And I've had this conversation before about people dealing with failures and being ashamed of it versus learning from it. And how has that perspective shifted in your life? And, you know, when you, how did you come to understand that you have an opportunity with failure to actually learn and grow and become a better person from it? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really interesting question. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that uh, you you're sort of forced into learning from your failures, right? You, I, I believe that you have two options when you're in front of something tragic or life-changing. You either let it consume you and take over your life or you shift, you adapt, you evolve, you change. Right. And through life, I mean, it could be, it doesn't have to be as tragic as, you know, losing a limb or losing a loved one. It could be like, in my case, it was chronic disease or it was the loss of a marriage. Yeah. Uh, and learning that I could rise above, that there was light at the end of the tunnel also taught me this what I believe is a valuable lesson on the power of change and the positivity of change. Uh, we as humans are indoctrinated almost to be afraid of change. And, and most of us go at it kicking and screaming. Yeah. Not after we are absolutely obligated to change that we actually embrace it. When in fact, it is part of who we are as humans, right? We aren't, if you're an adult listening to this today, you have changed thousands of times yes. <laughs> throughout yes. your you know, growing up years. Yeah. Every six weeks, you have a different set of bones. Yeah. You know, every, every several months, you have a different liver. Like every, almost every cell of your body changes without you realizing it. I mean, your skin is maybe a little bit more obvious when you see, you know, a cut and you notice that cut healing and eventually building new skin. Right. That's change. And once you start realizing, oh, this is part of me, this is part of who it is to be human and to be alive, then it's a lot easier to embrace it as a positive thing. Yeah. And I, I really like what you said, the, the power of change and the positivity of change. And, you know, aside from our physical bodies, we... we I think you're right. We are so resistant to change and accepting yeah. that it's okay to admit that we were wrong or admit that we are, our perspectives are shifting because we're learning new information. And I think, you know, we have got so much division in this country and in this world right now. If we can internalize the very fact that, you know, when, when I'm changing, I'm growing. It's not a bad thing. It's allowing me to become a better person. That doesn't mean my my values have to change. It just means that I'm evolving to understand a more a larger world view. And I I really I don't know how to instill that message in others. But you know the message the 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 um the, the TEDx talk you gave and just the your 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 passion behind you know, our willingness or our, our need to accept failure and learn from it. It's just very powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, I agree. I, I, and, and I appreciate that perspective, especially because it doesn't have to be only about tragedy or about health or about whatever it is that we might be talking about. It could also be about understanding and accepting the other side of the coin. And right. in the case of uh, whether it is, your value system or opinions that other members of your family or, or members of your community have that you may disagree with, you can still learn a ton by just listening and understanding a little bit more. It's very hard for us to hate each other uh, if we are truly, if we truly understand each other, even if we disagree. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to not not to you know put too fine of a point on it, but. I mean, when you when you deal when you work with others who are resistant to change, I mean, how how do you open up somebody's mind to that? I mean, we're we're going to talk a lot about health and nutrition here shortly, and I'm I'm sure you know why well, I know from personal experience that people can be so resistant, especially to, to dietary change. And you you made such a, a great comparison in your TEDx talk, and I, I would love to share it in a moment. But when you have somebody who's just digging their heels in and they don't want to make those changes to provide better value to their lives, how how do you approach that? Um, so you never change anybody or you never help anybody through change right. uh, by force, right. right? Nothing, you could change temporarily, but there's not going to be long-term sustainable change by force. So you have to go at it with love. You have to, you have to go at it with um, understanding and listening. I, I always, always, even though I'm a talker, 
in my practice, I practice the concept of, you know, I have two ears and only one mouth. Yeah, and my yes. job, I literally, when I talk to clients, out of every hour, they talk for three quarters of the entire time. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, even though you're there to coach and you're there to provide a lot of value, you need to be able to listen. You need to be able then to help people through their value system and hopefully help them with a lot of love and patience to, to throw up the process of changing something. And we'll talk about it more in detail. I don't want to give you too much too early, but <laughs> there's a lot of love and a lot of attention and a lot of kindness and compassion that comes from the, um, the process of coaching somebody through changing their diet and lifestyle. Absolutely. And I, I know this is very anecdotal. Um, I was just uh, a couple hours ago, just speaking with uh, Kristen Kurtz. Um, and she was ta- telling me about a story how she's got a, a friend or somebody that she she's worked with who he helps people uh, because he went through the experience himself of dealing with spinal injuries. And somebody had come to him and say, hey, listen, we talked to this person. They've got a spinal injury, and I, I know that they, 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 they could use your help and advice. And he said, sure, give them my number, have them call me. And she was very, I guess, inspired by the way he said that. Instead of saying, yeah, give me their number, I'll call them, he said, give, give them my number, I'll call them. Because he knows that he, if he calls them and they're not ready to make change in their life, then there's not, nothing's going to happen. Somebody will yeah. reach out when they are ready to make that change, and they know that they have no other course of action, then I know I can help them. Correct. Yeah. Very true. I mean, you're not going to change others by your own willpower. Right. <laughs> it, has to be, it has to come from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about uh, some of the changes you've made in your life, because you, you know, as, as you've, you've said um, on in other platforms, you, you, you were a powerful or you were a, um, an extremely talented executive. Uh, you worked in, in entertainment for, for quite some time, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I was in the entertainment industry at a publishing company called EMI Music. Yeah. In New York City. So, you know, power corporation, power executive, uh, climbing the corporate ladder, very young. Um, I became one of the youngest people at a VP level um, and one of the few women of color in in an executive position. And uh, so I looked like the epitome of uh, success and my body was seriously falling apart. Yeah, uh, uh, that's what I want to talk about. I mean, you... Yeah. <laughs> that, so I, I will give that metaphor that you gave in your talk. You know, you wouldn't put crappy oil or cheap gasoline in a brand new Mercedes. So why would you put cheap and terrible food in this one body that you're given? And, and I know I'm paraphrasing quite a bit, but that was a very apt metaphor and it stuck with me. And I, I would love for you to talk more about it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to this day, I still talk to people about that. If um, and, and I talk to about it from from two perspectives, from your own perspective, but also from the perspective of people struggling with serious health conditions, going out to an allopathic doctor or a Western medicine doctor, right. and the doctor says, "Well, I, there's nothing I can do. Here, take this pill," <laughs> and then you go to the pharmacist and take a pill, and you hope that the pill solves the problem. Right. But nobody has ever discussed the underlying causes of the condition. And the foods that you're supposed to use or the fuel that you're supposed to use to heal and or maintain homeostasis or health on this amazing machine that we call a human body. So my, cons- my, my argument has always been, I, this is my only home, it's the only home I have to live in beyond planet earth, right? I'm talking right. about, like, I cannot grow a third arm if the, if the all one arm falls off, right? right? I could potentially get a new liver if this one that stops working, but it will cost me a ton in yeah. pain, suffering, money, resources, and, you know, the, 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 the what will happen to my family and my loved ones and my own mental health if I have to go through that. Yeah. Why instead I want to, why not honor that amazing machine with the best foods that I could potentially afford? And I tell you, Trey, every single time I talk to clients and I take them through a process of 
of I can't afford these or, you know, organic foods or healthy foods are so much more expensive. And I sit with them and do a full budgetary change of, um, of, of their monthly budget. Money shows up, money appears as if, you know, as if it grows from trees. It's proved that if you, if we are conscious, if we are aware, it's very, it's a, it's a lot easier than we think yeah. to actually make healthy choices. So that's what happened to me. I got very sick. I looked very healthy, relatively healthy, simply because I was fit, right? Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't overweight. I didn't have anything obvious to me. You know, I didn't have yondies. I wasn't, you know, nothing was falling off of me. I didn't have my hair falling off or anything like that. So everybody was really curious and and concerned when I told them I have these serious conditions and I need to go somewhere else because Western medicine didn't have anything to offer. And and I could not possibly take just a pill as a way to, you know, and hope and pray that a miracle will happen. I realized that I had to go find that miracle, quote unquote. And that's exactly what I did. I went... Uh, elsewhere really far <laughs> from Western <laughs> society and learned about things like Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine and Western herbalism and started changing my diet and very slowly and very steadily. And this is also something I tell people all the time. You do not, you don't get there overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. Right. So very slowly and very steadily, my body started to react and started to heal. And then I realized this information should be available to all of us. And why isn't it? And, uh, and then I decided to leave my corporate job and went back to school and got certified as a nutrition coach, learned Ayurveda, learned uh, nutrition and uh, learned herbal medicine. And ever since then, I have been sitting or standing on every pulpit and every soapbox that I could find trying to teach the world about the amazingness that the plant world has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And so there's a lot I want to ask you about that. But one of the one of the things that you said is, you know, why why isn't this knowledge, you know, common? Why why are, why is everybody being subscribed pills to to get better? And I, I think that's such a obviously such a huge problem, uh, you know, here in the Midwest and across the entire country. You obviously, have the opioid uh, you know uh, epidemic, uh, which is you know killing tens of thousands of of people, which is awful. Um, and I know that's not directly necessarily related to nutrition, but we have this desire for such a quick fix. And you said it, you said those words, it is not an overnight solution. This is not something that you're going to make a decision on and next, the next day, everything is going to be better. This is something you have to put in the work to accomplish. And so, you know, going back to the very beginning of our conversation, you can't force people to change. And so when we come, when it comes to educating people on plant-based diets or just even healthier diets, I mean, how, how, how much pushback do you get? You know, what, what can we do to really help people realize what it is they need in their bodies to live healthy and ultimately happy lives? Absolutely. So uh, numerous things. Um, first of all, education is key, right? Uh, understanding how your body works. Uh, the parts that you cannot see, right? Like we can see our nails when they get dirty or our hair when it gets thinner, but there's there, there's a lot happening inside our bodies. We cannot see those body parts, but we can we can communicate with them, right? Like if you get gassy right. or if you have, you know, constipation, that's a conversation some parts of your body is having with you, right? Yeah. Like, dude, like what, what is happening? <laughs> Give me what I need. Hunger is a conversation or, or lack of hunger, Nausea. There's a lot of things happening in your body that are that are constant conversations. So part of the process of teaching people is is to help them become acquainted with their bodies, learn to love their bodies exactly as they are in the moment, and then what in the, simultaneously because this process is is a, a long term process. It's actually harder to change people's diet than it is to change people's political views, believe it or not. Yeah, I believe it. <laughs> or religion, for that matter, is, is really at the same level. Like, people get offended if, yeah. you, if you try to tell them not to eat certain things or to eat some other things more than other. Uh, so I always use, especially for, for those people 
who have not had a lot of opportunities to learn about healthy nutrition, the reduce and replace approach, right? So I am not, if you love your soda and your hamburgers and your McDonald's, there is no way that as much information as I can give you to educate you on how bad these things are, and how much better, you know, cauliflower rice is for you. There's no way you're going to learn that unless two things happen. Number one, you slowly reduce the not so great stuff and replace them with good stuff. Because remember, we are, if we just reduce, we're going to leave a void. And that void leads to deprivation or feelings of deprivation. So we never will get to that point. And secondly, and it's kind of like part of the same um, argument is we have to continue to embrace the process of eating for pleasure. In this day and age, and again, to your point about the, the, how we want an immediate solution to our problems. We want a pill that's going to solve our problem immediately the truth of the matter is that we are creatures of, we, we are very much biological creatures and we function in this entire conversation of pain and pleasure. So changing people's points of views about diet is very, could be very painful, right? If you tell people, well, you can't have that chicken because, you know, now you have diabetes and that's actually bad for you. And instead I want you to have green salads all day long. They're going to be like, that's painful to me. That's not <laughs> pleasurable yeah so i have to prong approach of like reducing and replacing and then finding a a common ground where pleasure is part of the concept of cooking and eating and nourishing your body and your mind and soul with it yeah yeah absolutely um going back to one of the the points you made you're absolutely right I, i think that people tend to tie their identities to the the foods they eat, which as I say it out loud to me sounds a little bit ridiculous, but I, I, I guess I get it. You know, as we're having this conversation and, you know, depending on when this comes out, Thanksgiving is right here around the corner. And you think about the, the tradition in America surrounding Thanksgiving, where we kill hundreds of millions of, of, of turkeys for the sake of tradition. And, you know, the, the birds themselves aren't even healthy growing up because they're fed so many hormones and antibiotics to try and keep them, you know, alive leading up to this holiday. And if you try to tell somebody, no, it's not okay to eat this meat, not only because is it inhumane, but because it's not even good for you. The way that these these birds are raised, they just they get they get upset. They get they get so fed up that you they, you feel like they feel like they're you're they're being attacked, and that's yeah, yeah it's un-American. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. There's a million arguments against it. Yeah, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely crazy. And so, um, you know, when we when we first spoke, I, I think I was telling you I I had a conversation with uh, Robbie Herbst um, a few weeks ago, and we talked about the book um, Eating Animals by Jonathan Safran Foer. And, you know, for, for me, leading up to reading that book, I, you know, I'm, I, I eat relatively healthy. I, I don't eat sugar. That's, I will, I'm sure we'll talk all about that because you have a program around that. But I, you know, I, I never really thought much about my meat. Oh, you know, it's protein. It's, it's good for me. But I never thought about, you know, how that meat was raised. And so I read that book and my perspective has certainly shifted. And I, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself a vegetarian quite yet. I may be getting closer to it, but at least now I'm having intelligent conversations around where my meat comes from. And I think if we can at least nudge people in that direction and they can realize that, you know, these things that they're putting into their body just are not good for their longevity, then hopefully we can make a shift. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and I I went through the exact same journey that you're going through. I, I became a vegetarian. Then I went back to it because like, like many people, I was like, well, it's the holidays and I'm going home to Puerto Rico and, you know, they eat pork there and I'm, I, I, I'll just have pork for just this one month and then I'll go back to my diet. I think that's okay. As, at, at least while we're going through the process of educating ourselves right. on not only how these animals are, are grown for our, and killed for our nourishment, and that part is critical, right, right that we actually grow and destroy animals for our nourishment. And it is really curious to me that we are okay allowing these animals to, to lead 
really awful lies and die really stressful deaths. Right. Uh, causing the meat to be flooded with stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline. And we're okay, uh, you know, with these animals that give up their lives for our nourishment to lead such a ho- such horrible lives. And then we happily consume this flesh, yeah. expecting that flesh to nourish us. And it's, you know, once you start educating yourself about that, it's actually really, really interesting. It, it actually changes your perspective And then, of course, and in my case, what sealed the deal was understanding what happened with inside my amazing home. Yes. Those those foods got inside of it. Right. And and I learned not just through um, there's there's a million books out there. Diet for a New America uh, is is one of the very first ones that I actually read. The China studies, another one. Uh, I actually studied with the the professor and scientist that uh, that wrote that book. That's amazing. Uh, we, we can talk about some others in in a moment, but you start understanding the acidic reaction that your body goes through once you consume a lot of animal flesh, right? And the, the that acidity causes a lot of inflammation. And now we know, this is fact, that a lot of the diseases of what we call diseases of the modern world, right? Like heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, strokes, et cetera, uh, you know, have their basis in an acidic, highly uh, inflamed environment, right? Yeah. So inflammation that sits there for day after day, month after month, year after year. And when you're 25, you might not notice, but one day you'll be 30 and 35 and 40 and 45. And then you start noticing, I don't feel as great as I, as I used to. Right. And I don't understand why. And um, my goal is to get people to understand before they get to a point where that chronic disease is life-threatening to, to embrace a, a, a simpler way of living or, yeah. or eating that reduces inflammation in the body and understanding why that is important to make sure that they continue to live a life of health and wellness well into their forties and fifties and sixties and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's great information to have. Uh, now I, I, I did want to ask, and so you, I, I know you're not, you're not a meat eater and I, I know that you, you you follow vegan rules, but you don't like that term, correct? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so I know there's a, there's a, there's a strong connotation there, but I would love for you to to talk through that. No, you know it tends to turn people off. The veganism is uh, because, and and don't get me wrong, I do believe that most vegans are well-intended people that like you are educating themselves, they read a lot and they realize this is actually so bad for the environment, for the world, for the animals, for us, that we want to get more people excited about learning about this. The problem is like, we discussed this already, right? Like diets are akin to religion or right. politics. It, it's part of our value system, yeah. uh, deeply entrenched. And then also, you know, a lot of vegans out there, that the ones that are the most vocal, tend to be, um, they could be a little sassy about the way <laughs> that they go about educating people. Yeah. And they also could be a little self-righteous, right? Like, with that proselytizing attitude, very similar to people trying to convert you into a religion, for example. So I understand why people are a little bit turned off by the term. Uh, And my interest and my goal is not to turn any, everybody into a, you know, an aggressive, you know, militant vegan. But again, I want people to embrace more color in their diet and, and get excited about becoming healthier so I decided, you know, this term is too divisive. Uh, I do believe that the term plant-based, which there's a ton of people that, uh, that eat animal flesh that consider themselves plant-based because their argument is that 80 to 90% of what they consume come from plants. And so they're like, I am plant-based. Yeah, I do have some fish once a month or some chicken here, you know, on Thanksgiving or turkey or whatever it is, but I am plant-based. And to me, that is much better than 
than, than the alternative. I myself went from years of being vegetarian to being quasi-vegetarian, then I became vegan, then I was you know, off veganism. And I had all kinds of reasoning why, all yeah. kinds of you know, justification. And then once I realized, you know, it's not that big a deal. Nobody has to know what you're putting on your plate. Right. It's okay if every, you know, if you do be a vegan diet or a plant-based diet five days out of the week, and then eat maybe something that might be a little yummy, but not as healthy once or twice. Um, you're still doing really great by the, the, the environment, by your own body. Yeah. And then going back full circle to that a story that I told you about, the conversation that your body is having with you. <laughs> once you start eating better, and especially when you eat certain foods that are very healthy for a relatively long period of time, say you eat five days, very, very healthy. And then on Saturday, you become debaucherous. You'll start noticing your body is going to talk back. Absolutely. It's going to tell you, this, what, what are you doing? Like that's, this is not good. Yeah. <laughs> Just, it's been great for like the 15 minutes that the meal lasted, but now I'm paying the consequences for the next five hours is not worth it. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, you talk about self-improvement and you, once you start to set a new baseline for how you want to be, you know, whether or not that's, you know, meditating every day or, you know, not complaining or being a more positive person, when you set that baseline for how you want to be and you start embodying that in your life after a few weeks, if you catch yourself being negative or if you catch yourself slacking off in, in a certain regard, you you notice that. You really do. You notice you don't like the way that makes you feel. And so when you do that with the same way with your diet, like you just said, if you eat healthy six days out of out of out of the week, on that seventh day, if you eat a you know a chocolate cake, your body is saying, Hey, listen, and this it just it you, you hear it talking. And I to, to exactly to your point, I, I think that um that it's something that we should listen to. Yeah. And this actually reminded me of another point that I think we, we touched on when we talked offline is there's many other ways in which we can find pleasure with food. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be with a very sugary treat or a very true, a treat that might give us pleasure for five minutes, right. but then causes a lot of pain for the next five hours. Well, another thing that I tell clients all the time is to involve all five senses when they are consuming food. Like we start digesting when we start smelling the food. Right. Just like a dog that starts salivating, we do too. We have we start uh, segregating uh, digestive enzymes in our saliva, and we get a little, you know, like our mouth get a little watery. Yeah. And this is part of the reason why in all in, in Eastern cultures, people used to sit in the floor and like eat with their fingers and truly spend time just embracing the colors on the plate and looking at it and making it making it a pleasurable experience using your fingers allowing the food to kind of like, and the aromas of the food to permeate inside your mouth yeah. as you chew before you actually swallow. It, it can be a very sensual, pleasurable experience that will make your entire body feel satisfied. So even before you get full from the meal, you feel really, really satisfied. I guarantee you, you'll eat a lot less, yeah. <laughs> but you'll feel much better. Absolutely. And that makes me question the whole fast food industry. I mean, we're, our culture here is so conditioned to eating on the go and, and being so sped up. But when we actually take the time to appreciate what, what we're, we, we, you can call it whatever you want, what we've been given or what we've worked hard to attain in the sense of our, our food and our diets, then we, like you said, we just, we, we get so much more pleasure and so much more enjoyment and, you know, happiness even uh from yeah. from the, from the food we're consuming and that doesn't have to be like i said it doesn't have to be cake it can be I'm, i'll be honest my favorite food is hummus it's it's just one of it's something that i could eat an entire tub of in one sitting if i allowed myself to but just enjoying it and you know taking every taking, taking your time with every single bite that's ah, that's there's nothing better yeah it's fantastic yeah. And like that, if you actually open yourself, I mean, the average American consumes less than 10 foods in a single week, right? Like we yeah. have the five flesh that we consume, fish, chicken, turkey, um, pork, and, and beef. Yeah. And then we have potatoes, we have rice, and we have maybe broccoli or a couple of other vegetables. 
But if you go to a supermarket and you wander around the produce section, you realize there's probably 60 to 70 foods that you probably have never tried or haven't tried in a very long time. And so imagine how much you are depriving yourself of the potential. And in this day and age, recipes abound. There's never again, I want to hear people say that vegetables are boring, (laughs) that they're not tasty, that they don't, they're, you know, they're not satisfying. Then you're definitely not making an effort. Yeah. Because alternatives out there to make vegetables taste amazing are a dime a dozen. And then once you discover things like like hummus or baba ganoush or God knows all kinds of other types of cuisines from around the world. Oh, my God. Imagine all of the amazing experiences that you are uh, that are awaiting you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you talk about around the world and you talk about different cultures and even different types of medicine, Eastern medicine, I, I so I want to first ask you for a definition of this word, and I'm probably not going to pronounce it correctly, but uh, Ayurveda. Ayurveda? Yes. So tell me what, what that is. And, you know, you said you traveled far away to to learn, you know, a lot about Eastern medicine. I, I don't know if you meant that metaphorically or literally, did you travel around the world? So I want to know more about your journey to uh, coming to the place where you are now. Yeah. So the trips have been both metaphorically and physically. Uh, learning has been a 15 plus year process. Yeah. Uh, where I learn about traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda. So Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine kind of like explains itself, right? Right. (laughs) Traditional medicine of China. Ayurveda is a Sanskrit term that means science of life. And it is the Eastern or alternative medicine traditions of India and Southeast Asia. It's been around for about 6,500 years. We have texts showing... Uh, you know, all these, you know, medics of the time teaching people how to use the, the seasons, that even the times of the day uh, and the, the texture of the food or the plant, whether it is he, uh, heating or a cooling plant uh, and the effect that that plant has inside the body once it's get, it gets inside the body. And then understanding your own constitution or dosha, the, the one thing that you were born with, right? Like the, the blueprint that you came with uh, into this plane, regardless of your background, everybody has a little blueprint, blueprint that is very much specific to them, yeah. right? So you are very unique. Ayurveda believes that everyone is a universe. Um, and so things like yoga, like traditional meditation from India, even Kama Sutra all have their roots in Ayurveda. And so learning about that and then, of course, understanding that every single culture around the world had a practice of herbal medicine, even Europeans. I mean, the, the, witch, the witches or the Wiccas that we know of Europe, unfortunately, we have lost a lot of those traditions because yeah. in the, the times of the Inquisition, the Catholic Church destroyed a lot of those anecdotal um, uh, teachings and and with it and the women and men that were destroyed with it took all their lessons with them unfortunately yeah. uh luckily for us the native americans of the uh of north central and south america the people in southeast asia in africa in india and certain parts of europe took their their teachings with them as they moved around the world and kept passing it on. And so I am one of those many students yeah. that have learned uh, how to use these plants to, to help us. And so I learned by, uh, first and, for, and foremost, I was my own guinea pig. I was my own uh, test subject. And eventually I realized that I needed a, a more uh, clinical training. So I went uh, and, and got trained. To, to learn how to use these and how to pass on the knowledge um, in, a, in a way that was a little bit safer than, than say, ancestries. Right. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's wonderful. Um, and so I guess the first question that arises in me is, you know, when we talk about Eastern medicine versus Western medicine, of course, there's always going to be the argument that, you know, Western medicine is more technologically advanced it's more, you know, it's more, it, it's safer, which I, I think is arguable. Um, but, you know, it's, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I, I'm, I was agreeing with you. Yeah, and but to to your to to your very point, and this is something that I, I think about a lot. You know, w- when you say everyone is a universe, yeah, I, I I love I love the idea of it, but it's also you think about it on a on, on a much smaller scale. Everyone is different. You can't have one pill that's going to magically cure everybody. But if there were to be something that we all have in common is that we all eat and we all we all all of our bodies can agree that you know a a more natural diet with less processed foods is better for us and so you know which when somebody tries to make that argument that oh western culture is 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 or western medicine is modern where eastern uh, you know medicine is is ancient you know there's a, there's a there's a point to be made that you know the longer that has been around the better but i'm just curious you know what you say to people who make that argument Oh, what do I say? I say so many things. Um, <laughs> you, you, there's a lot to unpack in what you said there. Uh, I guess the first thing um, is, yes, there is a lot of value in Western medicine. Uh, Western medicine can actually um, heal a bone or right. take somebody that has been run over by a car and put it back together easier and faster than anything else out there. Yeah. Um, uh, but Western medicine, it unfortunately, has two major flaws. It it assumes a body part, uh, assumes that every single body part is um, independent of the rest of the whole of the whole, right. and doesn't look at the entire human, right? At, at that whole universe that we talked about a second ago. Yeah. Eastern medicine does the exact opposite. It not only helps you prevent, right? Like in, in Eastern medicine, we always, always, always try to prevent. Yeah. Or when people come to us because of a particular condition or serious symptoms, the goal is to balance, reduce the symptoms and balance that body as a whole, mind, body, soul, as a whole, holistically, to allow the body to do what it does best, which is homeostasis, right? Yeah. Balance and health. So Western medicine cannot do that, unfortunately. It does not have the ability to help us prevent diseases. It rarely has the ability to help us heal. It can heal in some cases, but it almost, in in some others, it almost has to destroy before it heals. And it almost doesn't. Like if you think about cancer survivors, right? You put people through a, a process of chemotherapy or radiation where you're literally destroying that body. Right. In the hope that with it goes the, ca- the the cancer, and then most of the time it's like okay, go go home and try to heal, okay, let your body heal. And so the patient is actually sitting there, and I have a ton of cancer patients where that is my job: essentially take you after your chemo and help you restore balance. Because right. unfortunately, Western doctors have never been trained. I think the average Western doctor takes just about 20 hours of nutrition training. And going back to that very first argument that you mentioned about the car, right? The analogy of the vehicle. Right. Think for a, think about it for a second. You have an amazing machine, right? So your body is like a Tesla or like a Maserati. Yeah. And this doctor that just helped you beat this incredibly scary disease, life-threatening disease, is now cannot answer a simple question of, what is the best fuel for my body so that I don't ever have to go through this again? Yeah. And unfortunately, most doctors out there will tell you, I don't know. They might not say that because they tend to be cocky. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they will tell you, I don't know, because the truth is that they don't know. They yeah. will send you off to a nutritionist. And while there is some value in understanding that there's experts that work specific with nutrition, to me, it's unacceptable that a doctor that is an expert in bodies, right, in the machine that we call the body, cannot intelligently discuss what is the best fuel for this machine. Right. If you go to a mechanic that is an expert in Teslas and you ask them about the best oil for that Tesla and they don't know the answer, you call him a fool <laughs> and yeah. a cook. And then you, you know, a crook or whatever. Sorry, uh, that, that's my, my language barrier. <laughs> and you just like send them off and tell them, you know, you're, you're literally, you're good for nothing. Yeah. Um, and somehow we have learned to see these these amazing professionals in these white coats as almost demigods, right? Like what they say is law. 
but they're not telling you much about the foods that you're supposed to consume or the fuel that is supposed to um, to, to, to cause you to stay healthy. So you, it, it's up to us. It, it need, we need to be responsible about our own longevity. We cannot allow, we cannot expect a pill to solve our problems, a guy or a woman with a coat to sort all of our problems. This is the only machine, the only home, and we need to take responsibility for it. Yeah, I agree. So speaking about doctors just a little bit more, I mean, where do you think that deficiency is? I mean, do you think that's in schooling? Do you think that the 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 burden should be on the university or the 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 uh, I guess the the medical program that these doctors are in to take that more holistic approach? Where where is the disconnect where doctors are not learning about you know nutrition and the 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 whole body package? I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a hard uh, question to answer only because I believe that the answer could be controversial. Right. Uh, I believe that it all started probably with good intentions. Right. Uh, people will disagree with me. But I think there was a lot at the beginning of the 20th century. There was a lot of these, you know, snake oil, oilsmen yes. kind yes. of um, snake oil salesman kind of thing where everybody had a quote unquote cure. And the, the country was trying, the Western world, right, was trying to protect its own citizens by setting up rules that say, well, if you if you're going to sell a quote unquote cure, then you need to go through a training, you need to be licensed, you need to, you know, you can't just all of a sudden start offering stuff just because. Right. So I understand that the I believe that the initial um ideal was altruistic. Yeah. However, um, fast forward 120 years later, we are in a situation where uh, it is, you know, the corporations have more power than even colleges and universities. Yeah. And so we are, we, we have a system that is not designed to heal. It's designed to reduce symptoms and pretty much nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Like no doctor is I mean, all doctors, I believe that all doctors go to medical school because they want to heal people. They want people to be better. Sure. But they rarely do. Unfortunately, most of what they, they offer in terms of pharmaceuticals, et cetera, is stuff that will reduce symptoms, potentially causing other more complicated symptoms. Right. And in theory, those symptoms, once they are reduced, your body should do what it does best, which is heal itself, uh, unless you have a serious condition like cancer or Alzheimer's or something like that, in which right. case that's a colorful conversation. I believe that if you are a doctor today or if you're a medical student or if you're a college or a university, it's up to them to come together and say, this is not working. We're not doing what we set out to do 120 years ago. What are we doing now? What are we going to do? How can we be better? Yeah. Uh, but that will take an entire systemic change. Absolutely. And as we know, that's not necessarily <laughs> easier. That's easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree completely. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, this time's just flying by. And then there's, there's, uh, there's two other things that I really want to touch on. Uh, before I let you go, but you talked uh, briefly about um, the China study, and that this, that this is not the first time I've, I've, I've heard about this study or this uh, this book. I believe it is. Uh, like I said, uh, Robbie Herbst, uh, he has read it, and you you worked with the author of the study, correct? I studied with him. He was my professor in uh, at, at the nutrition uh, course that I took. That's wonderful. Can you? just talk a little bit about the China study because I, I have not read it yet. And I, I I do intend to, and for the people who have no idea what it is, it'd be great to have kind of a a better understanding of that. Absolutely. So the China study is the largest nutrition study ever conducted. It was called, it's called the China study because what they did was they wanted to take a group of people that were genetically very close, uh, genetically uh, speaking. So they went to China and they wanted a large uh, subject uh, group. So they went to China where there's a ton of people. (laughs) And they said, we're going to follow this group of people, like hundreds of thousands of people, and tell them to just simply go about their lives 
every year, just following their diet and lifestyle and documenting all of this. And so they did that for about 35, 40 years. And in while they were doing that, they were actually finding uh, studies that compared and used animal flesh, especially the, the protein um, that's present in cow's milk called casein. Mm-hmm. And they noticed in animal studies that when, uh, when the, uh, the animals were fed casein, they, and, and there were uh, carcinogens inside their bodies, the, it caused tumors to develop and, and grow. And when they reduce the, the casein, the, the, the protein in the, in the milk, the, the, the tumors not only stopped uh, growing, they actually shrunk. So then they compare that study, right? The, the issues of eating animal flesh and, and its ability to promote cancerous growth. Yeah. And then they look at this study with Chinese subjects and realized that without changing any other, any other system, right? Like not telling people what to eat, just simply noticing that the people that ate mostly a plant-based diet didn't have any of the diseases of the Western world, didn't have heart disease at the same rate, didn't have cancer or diabetes or, or obesity. And yet the people that ate a lot of animal flesh struggled with a lot of these conditions. Yeah. Uh, more, more importantly, when you when some of these subjects naturally moved from a heavy plant-based food to a heavy meat-eating food, they moved from not having these serious conditions to evolving into serious conditions in a matter of less than a generation mm-hmm. and vice versa. So at the end of the day, what they realized was two very important things. Number one, the the protein in animals, right? Because you can find protein everywhere else in the plant world, right. but the protein in animals, it could be carcinogenic, has the ability to be carcinogenic and cause all kinds of other issues in the body. And the people that, and, and plant-based eating allowed you not only to, to prevent diseases, but reverse them in some cases. Yeah. So really a fascinating study. The book is is relatively large, but I recommend everybody to, if you were to listen or read nothing else, I will start with the China study because okay. it will inform a lot of your uh, eating decisions in the future. That's amazing. That's, that's really good to know. Um, and to just shift slightly, what are your thoughts on the, I don't know if I want to call it a boom yet, but the, the, the artificial plant-based meats, you know, the impossible burgers, the, the beyond meats. I mean, how in, in, in relation to nutrition, how are those shaping up or stacking up against, you know, strictly green vegetables, uh, in your diet? Well, I mean, uh, all of the meat alternatives are transition foods or transitional right. foods, essentially foods for those people who still love the texture and taste of meat and have a hard time letting that go and just want to have it. Again, it goes back to the concept of pleasure, right? right? right. Uh, most of these are actually, uh, you know, they're, they're considered processed foods. They're not necessarily the healthiest. But if I were to consume... If you were to ask me, do you want to have a piece of meat, a piece of cow's meat versus a impossible burger? I will have an impossible burger every day of the week yeah. uh, before I have my a, a chunk of beef. Um, I do believe that is meant to be uh, transitional stuff yeah. or as a or as a, you know, a, a, something to consume for fun when you are trying to just just have a little bit of debauchery in your diet maybe once every few weeks uh, but like every other processed food out there it's it could be seriously dangerous for your health eventually we don't know the extent of that danger because they're still too new right absolutely so in essence it's you know you can talk about smoking or somebody who's trying to quit, you know, chewing Nicorette gum, obviously you're, it's the transitioning oh. off of the nicotine that, that gets you a little bit closer to your goals. That's correct. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Great analogy. 
All right. So before we wrap up, um, I do want to talk about sugar. Um, as as we've talked about here and talked about offline, I <laughs> it's not it's not a love hate relationship with sugar. I hate sugar. I, I know how detrimental it can be to your body. But I'm not a nutritionist. I I, I I know enough to know you know what I will and will not put into my body. So you have a program called Get Off Sugar, uh, Get Off Sugar program. And so I'd love to for you to talk more about that and uh, hopefully you know affirm my. My, my case for not consuming it. <laughs> so I, you might not like this answer. So <laughs> let me first of all uh, clarify to people that uh, sugar is not, it's not necessarily, it's not good for you, but sugar should not be considered the enemy. We should not hate sugar. Remember, okay. anim, um, uh, mother's milk is very, very sweet. It's mostly, mostly sugar. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. <laughs> In fact, the reason why we love sugar so much is because there is a lot of plants in the world. We evolved from these old, old humans that looked at the trees and look at these beautiful colors in the trees and were attracted to the scent of the mango, but we've been more attracted to the taste of that mango right. or that banana or that pineapple. And the reason why we're attracted to it is because it's in that particular colorful sugary stuff where a lot of these nutrients live. Most of the foods that we consume will turn into sugar in the body. Right. That is a normal process in the body. Right. Uh, with the exception of animal flesh or, or pure proteins, almost everything translates to sugar because your body utilizes the sugar or the fats for energy, uh, but mostly the sugars for energy. Right. So I always like to make that caveat because I don't want people to be afraid of ever having a mango in the middle of the summer right? or ever having some sweet potato on Thanksgiving. There's a lot of nutritional value in some of those foods. However, we consume too much of it. We consume too much of whatever is not supposed to go in our, in our bodies. Yeah. And it is really dangerous and it is very addictive. We know that it's as addictive as cocaine um, and other hard drugs. Yeah. Uh, the average person consumes in a single year, what uh, we used to, con in, in five years of, of the modern 21st century human, you will consume as much sugar as a human at the beginning of the 20th century consumed in, the, in their entire lifestyle. That's insane. Lifestyle. That's insane. It's insane. It's insane because we're still the same human. We have not yet evolved from right. that human of the 1900s. So our, our hormonal, the hormonal disruption, the amount of acidity and inflammation that it, that, that leads to, it's incredibly dangerous, incredibly. I mean, sugar will be uh, to us, uh, in 50 years, sugar will be what cigarettes are to us today. Yeah. We will look at it and be like, how could people possibly eat this much stuff? Like, it's so bad. So what I, um, what I did with the program as an herbalist and, and working in nutrition with my clients, people ask me all the time, you know, like you're telling me that, sh that carbohydrates are good for me and, and, and I cannot, carbohydrates is a macronutrient. You cannot survive without it. Right. How could I possibly survive without it? But, but at the same time, I need to stay away from it. And I said, well, <laughs> here's what you need to do. You need to, there's certain things that you need to do to help you consume these carbohydrates in a very healthy way and hopefully utilize some of the uh, wisdom of the herbal world to help you control and eventually reduce and take, take control of your sugar cravings. Not because I want you to eventually completely never want to or desire sugar because that will never happen. Right. Uh, what I want you to do is to get to a point where if you're in the moment, you're ready to go to the market and have a big tub of ice cream, instead have some gymnema tea that will help you take control of your own urges. Yeah. And then slowly, once your urges are under control, <laughs> you can then take other steps to slowly shift your, you know, your lifestyle so that you consume less and less of this processed, crappy white stuff. Yeah. Wait, what, what, what kind of tea did you say that was? No. So uh, this is one of the teas that I recommend in the program. It's called Gymnema. Gym. It's spelled E-Y-M-N. Gymnema. N-E-M-A. Did I, did I say that? Did I spell that right? 
gym nema. So gym like a, like I'm going to the gym. Yeah. Gym N E M A. Gym nema. Okay. I'll find it. I'll and find it. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, it's incredible. It's fantastic. And you can take it in pill form. You can take it in tea form. Um, there's a couple of other blends that involve things like ginger and cinnamon. So you'll find recipes uh, with herbs that are very common that you've heard before. And some like gymnema that you've never heard before. And you're like, what is she talking about? <laughs> but the idea is that if you if your budget doesn't help you consume something that's really expensive, you can still do a lot with the cinnamon and ginger and other yeah. herbs and um, and then slowly utilize the, the 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 botanicals that are available to you and easily accessible and just really inexpensive anybody can find ginger and cinnamon in in their local market yeah. and start consuming them putting them in their recipes and taking it as tea or in pill form that's fantastic well, Javanka, I really, really appreciate you coming onto the podcast, sharing your story because it's it's absolutely incredible, and it's so important for people to realize that when they when they're in pain and suffering, not I mean not not obviously not all the time, but there it's so important to consider what we're putting into our bodies, and I just don't think enough people really consider that from a holistic standpoint. And I, I love hearing people who are embodying that idea and helping others do so as well. So I really appreciate that. It's so my pleasure. I mean, as you can tell, I'm really passionate about this stuff. I can talk about it all day. So I appreciate you giving me the forum and hope uh, that your audience takes a lot out of it. Absolutely. And so before I let you go, I have a couple closing questions I'd like to ask. First and foremost, you know, as you're continuing to grow uh, your business and you're continuing to grow uh, or help the world understand nutrition, if there happens just to be somebody out there listening who could provide additional resources to you, what resources do you need to continue growing and expanding and helping others? Oh, wow. That's, that's a great question. You know, one of the things that I like to learn is, I don't know if anybody has a resource for, you know, Pilates at home for people that are, you know, like I tried Pilates like 10 years ago and yeah. I got really hurt because I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. And because, you know, we're, we're still in the middle of, you know, a pandemic, um, if somebody wants to go do Pilates in a responsible, safe way at home, I wonder what would those resources be? Cause, and, and not YouTube, please, because YouTube <laughs> is like, I don't know if I want to trust this person, right. you know, teach how to properly align, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's good to know. And, you know, finally, I love, I love books. It's, that's not a secret. You know, I've credited them many times with having such a profound impact on my, on my own life. And so I always like to ask, if there is one book that you have read that has just changed your life for the better, what would that book be? And, you know, why has it had such a, a tremendous impact in, in, in your life? Yeah. So there is a book. This is not a nutrition book. This is a uh, auto or semi-biographical book by a Chilean author called Isabella Allende. And the book is called Paula. And Paula is the story of her young daughter, her young adult daughter, who had a brain aneurysm and uh, went into a coma. And her journey through trying to keep hope alive while her young adult daughter was dying in the hospital. Um, and I, I'm not, I'm not um, uh, giving you anything away. We know, we've known for, from the very beginning that Paula dies. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, I'm telling you the, the story and literally my, my, the hairs in my body is starting, are starting to, to rise up. It is, it is one of the most beautiful, poignant, heartbreaking stories of the love of a parent yeah. to a, 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 and the loss of the potential of that young life, right? And, and the potential of that, that she had to, to affect, positively affect her society. Absolutely. Um, and so it was a combination of that and also the fact that she was, uh, the, the way she writes is so beautiful. I'm pretty sure in English, I'm hoping that in English it's just as beautiful as in Spanish. I read it in Spanish. Yeah. And 
very few books have actually touched me. It was one of those books that you sit and you cry and cry and cry. But you're happy that you get to experience that kind of love and hopefully it's making you more empathic and and a better human being. That's amazing. Those are my favorite kinds of books where you just – you can't put it down because the words just keep pulling you in. And I, 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 you, I wish more people nowadays appreciated such beautiful writing. That's one of my, one of, one of the reasons why I love books from the mid 1900s. That some of those authors, they were so incredible with the words. I, I love that. So I, I will put that on my list and I look forward to reading it. Me too. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really an incredible book. I hope you enjoy it. Yes, absolutely. And so if people would like to reach out to you, if they would like to know more about what you're offering, what is the best way to contact you? You know, I always tell people, since my name is so hard to pronounce, (laughs) the easiest thing is to um, just Google my name, Jovanka, J-O-V-A-N-K-A, and my last name, C-I-A-R-E-S. And through that, you'll find my blog, you'll find my... um, you know, all of my social media platforms. So it's easy for for you to find me. And then if you want to contact me, all you have to do is go to the contact page on my website and shoot me an email. Um, and I'll be happy to be of assistance. Perfect. And I will put all of those links in the show notes to make it super easy. They don't even have to pronounce your name. They'll just be able to click and go right to you. <laughs> Fabulous. Awesome. Well, Javanka, thank you so incredibly much for doing this. I Like, like I said, I mean, I the health, nutrition, it is a ongoing pursuit for me so hearing or having the opportunity to talk with experts in the field it means so much and truly it contributes to my own happiness because if I weren't as fortunately healthy as I I am I am certainly sure that that would be a different case so I appreciate everything you're doing and I appreciate you personally for coming onto this podcast thank you again thank you so much thank you for all the hard work that you're doing to share in all this knowledge and thank you for having me Thank you. Once again, I would like to thank Jovanka for joining me on the Mosaic Life podcast. I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. If you would like to learn more about Jovanka and her coaching and her mission and her story, please visit her website, jovankasierras.com, and you can find her on social media at Jovanka Sierras. All of those links will be in the show notes, so please check those out in your podcast players or at themosaiclifepodcast.com. Thank you all again so incredibly much for taking time out of your day to listen to this conversation. It means so much to both myself and my guests, and I really hope you were able to take away something from this conversation and apply it to your own life. If you'd like more Mosaic Life podcast content, please follow me at Trey Kaufman on Instagram. You can find the Mosaic Life podcast on Facebook. And last but not least, it would mean a ton to me if you would leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or even subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Thank you all again so incredibly much. And until next time, take care, do better, and be well. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.